At the end our tale's begun. The curtain's down, the bows are done. Work is finished, scripts are writ. In centre stage, a light is lit. That's the ghost light, on its own. Shining bright, but all alone, except for those who hear its calls, and come to revel in its halls. For though the theatre's doors are closed, its power cannot be deposed, and so we ask that you all might come join us. Revel by Ghost Light. Hello, and welcome once again to Ghost Light Revels. I am, as ever, your host, Michael Cartledge, and with me today is a very special guest. She is an actor. She is a director. She is someone I've had the pleasure of working with many times over the years. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Lauren Mitchell. Hello, Lauren. I'm doing good. How are you doing? Not bad. It's a kind of chill afternoon for me today, which I've not had the privilege of this week, so it's nice. I'm going to do some pumpkin carving after this. Very nice. <laughs> nice to know we're keeping it seasonal. Well, welcome to the show and thank you so much for coming. As you know, uh, we like to go through people's lives within the creative sector on the show, so let's start with the past. How did you sort of get started within the creative sector. What was your first memory? Um, <laughs> to be honest, like I've been, I've been reflecting on this quite a bit. I honestly don't know because I am one of those very few and very lucky people who pretty much all my memories, like since I can remember, I've always known I wanted to do something in the creative arts. Something I can like remember Pretty much from like the age of five, like I was doing ballet classes and I was doing piano lessons, um, and then it wasn't until maybe I was about seven or eight that I actually started doing drama. But like, I I remember when I started doing doing drama, I was like, this is it, I'm gonna be an actor. Well, that's that was then where I was like, I'm gonna be an actor. I want that's that's what I want to do. And there was literally, and it's kind of it's interesting, like since probably about that age of about maybe about eight or nine. Um, it sort of fluctuated in like different forms of like what I want to do and all that, but it's always been theatre. And it's like, I've kind of, I think as well, like the, the last few months, just because we're in this situation, I'm like, did I, was that just like a hobby that I was really obsessed about and maybe I should have considered other things, but it's like, I honestly can't think of something else. I think as well, like I managed to probably pinpoint like, you know, it, it is really hard to go pinpoint that moment. I've heard of people going like, um, oh, I went to see such and such and that was it. And, and I just knew then and I knew I wanted to be part of the world. I, It's so strange. Like I can't hand on heart to say like there was one moment, but I do remember very distinctly going to, um, and I was trying to think as well, like probably what was my first really big theatrical thing that I'd seen that had gone wow, and it was Mary Poppins in London. And I think, I remember I was really ill at the time. I was like, I had a really bad cough, and I was like trying to hold back my cough. But it was like that, I'd just been blown away by it actually. And I remember there was a bit where Mary Poppins just like turned up out of nowhere, it was some cherry blossoms, and I was like, what is that? And then I think ever really since then, I've just, it's, it's, it's an obsession. I have an obsession with theater. And that's kind of, feel like I'm having withdrawal at the moment because I'm not getting anything. Um, I know that feeling. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. 
obviously I'd started in theatre schools and all that, and I've gone through various various iterations of theatre schools. But yeah, it's just such a weird thing. Like I can't honestly pinpoint, and I can't imagine my life not knowing that I wanted to do theatre. It's very strange. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, uh, well, let's go a bit further forward to times you sort of do remember. What do you sort of remember about beginning to actually work in theatre? Sorry, say that again. What was? At what times do you remember about when you sort of started to beginning to work in theatre, as it were? Um, well, I remember I went to Pace because I lived in Paisley. I grew up in Paisley. Oh. Um, and I'm trying to think. I think it was like a summer school because they did really amazing. I think so. Do they do like really amazing summer fests and like? Easter fest and all this sort of stuff and it's like a huge thing and I think as well like loads of my friends were going to school and I remember I must have been about eight seven or eight and we were doing a, a show at the, um, the wine theatre in Paisley and it was like I can't, I can't even tell you what the concept was but I remember I was a space cowgirl and a lot of my lines were like I'm a space cowgirl yeehaw and the funny thing was that it, it, it's hard to believe now, Michael, right? But I was actually a very shy child. No. Like, painfully shy. But I think I remember going along there and having, like, this silver suit and, like, this silver cowgirl's hat and doing all this and getting, like, laughs. And it was almost that sort of, um, just, like, electricity going through you when you're, like, I'm getting a response from an audience and I'm getting laughs. Um... I, I mean, I look back now on Pace with really fond memories, and actually, at, at the moment, I'm actually starting at my own theatre school, and it's I want to recreate what I felt at Pace. I want to give that to other kids, because Pace was huge. There were so many kids at it, and there were so many different classes, and um, it's something that I really appreciate. And, and again, like there was different theatre schools that I went to growing up that did the same thing, and that's what I really appreciate, is like, they sort of gave children autonomy and, and um, whether it was or whether it wasn't like you were actually getting a say in the show or whether the leaders were just sort of leading you to make these choices but it honestly just really it felt like being a child wasn't a hindrance they weren't dumbing things down because you were a child it was just you felt like you had an active say and like they were treating you almost kind of like an adult and I know that sounds strange but like they weren't holding anything back. And the, the sort of beauty about Pace as well with their summer fest was that they did so many different things and so many different genres. Um, so like I remember I did, there was like a, a musical fest, I did Grease, there was a, a comedy fest, there was a musical comedy fest, there was a murder mystery fest, there was a comedy murder mystery fest. Um, and one of the greatest probably still to this day, and this is saying something, one of the greatest shows that I was ever involved in was when I was nine, and it was Comedy Musical Fest, and we did the most hilarious parody of The Sound of Music. <laughs> like, and it's, see, looking back on it, I'm like, why did anyone like nine-year-olds do this, right? Because I, at the time as well, I was absolutely obsessed with, with The Sound of Music. I loved it so much. Right? I like the sound of this already. <laughs> And um, basically, oh, and I played the, um, uh, the, the, do you know the Baron 
Baroness. That yeah, I was funnily enough just thinking that because I recall the Baroness character being rather unpleasant a lot of the time. So I, I played her, but it was such a contract. Oh, well, I remember the opening scene was that we all came out in nuns' gowns and habits, right? Mm -hmm. And it was like all kind of chanting music. And then there was like a record scratch and they played the Pussycat Dolls, Don't You Wish Your Girlfriend Was Hot Like Me? Which <laughs> nine-year-olds on stage. Just as nuns, Don't You Wish Your Girlfriend Was Hot Like Me? So that was the start of it. Um, you then had Maria, who was like insane. She was just wacky. She was just hilarious. The um, Captain Von Trapp was a Ned and all of these children were Neds. So they all came out and then and they were like, they were doing my favourite things, but they were like, um, shoving grannies and smashing up windies and keying cars and all this sort of stuff, right? Um, and then I obviously was the Baroness, and I was like proper, I was in my prime, like, I had a red light and everything, so like, I would have like a dramatic, I would go into a red light and have a dramatic monologue and be like, ah, if I enter the children into the competition, I could win £10,000 and get plastic surgery and what <laughs> I wondered where the Nazis were going to come in. This... Yeah, so you had, you had um, a group of Nazis that were literally scared of like rabbits and ducks and things like that. Um, but for somebody just to like, you know, that'd be hilarious with like an adult cast. It was even more hilarious that they decided to put these children... This is simultaneously one of the most problematic and downright hysterical things I've ever heard. Oh yeah, like if you were to talk to my parents about it, they were like, we still talk about it today. I'll and, bet like, they do. <laughs> Sounds it. <clears throat> Sounds hilarious. Right. Let's move forward slightly uh, into um, other times. It, was there anything interesting that happened between then and when you went to university? Yeah, <laughs> plenty. Mm. Um, so obviously, like, I only went to Pace until I was about 11, and then uh, um, I'd always been musical as well. Like, I'd, to let you understand, I was like a really ambitious child and um with shocking and uh but like oh you know all thanks to my, my parents pushing me as well but like literally every night i would have something different on so i would 
Um, I'd be doing pace, I'd be doing piano lessons, I would be in a choir, um, I was doing ballet lessons, I was doing Highland lessons, I was doing jazz lessons, like I was um, doing pretty much something every night of the week. Um, and so yeah, very musical as well. And when we left Paisley and moved to Mogai, I think um, my mum had seen like a newspaper, uh, an advert in a newspaper for GAMTA, which is the Glasgow Academy for Musical Theatre Arts. Uh. And um, I think it was more like because I'd moved and because Paisley was like a great place to grow up and it had all that class, had all those classes. Um, and we were trying to find that sort of substitute in Mogai, but what we were kind of seeing was well, all that was there at GAMTA. It was I could like combine my music and my theatre. So they, and as well, like I was an intense child, like I was quite full on and wanted to really do this. And um, I think like GAMTA was the next step where you could do acting classes, ballet lessons, jazz lessons, tap lessons, singing lessons, as well as doing like full shows. So I had a pretty like intense relationship, like almost with Gamta for about four years, where I was set dead set on on musical and musical theatre, um, which I think I think kind of surprises people when they meet me now um, that I was like full. But I mean, this was from the ages of twelve to sixteen, mm. but I was like full on. I mean, I did like sixteen hours a week musical theatre training, and um, and this school kind of we're building you up to do like a showcase in front of Cameron Macintosh and, um, and then get hired for West End shows. And I think I kind of got carried away with that dream a little bit from the ages of 12 to 16. But it, it was, um, it was funny. It, like, I think I changed quite a bit. I, and I was obviously doing school alongside that. And I need to say at this point as well that I had an amazing school. Um, because it was Douglas Academy of Guy, which people will know is a, a music school. Ah. I wasn't in the music school, but it's got an incredible music department. So I was all, I was doing um, like really, you know, they really had so many different um, groups. They had orchestras and wind bands and choir. They had like an eighty-person choir and just and again, kind of the same with pace. Like they didn't tone down the technique or the quality side of things um, just because we were teenagers like they, they were really good so I think I was sort of by the age of about 16 I was getting all of that and also starting to realise that um, you know I'd done dance all my life and I absolutely loved it but I wasn't the best dancer there was girls in my class that were much better than that I wasn't the best singer um, again there was kids in my class that were belters like insane voices um, just even at, at teenagers but the one thing that I tapped into was that I again I was an actor and I sort of it was funny it was like I, I knew that when I was at Pace and then tried to do the whole triple threat thing at Gamta and then it always just kind of came back to well no you can't do the triple threat thing but you're a really good actor um, and it's things like um, we would have a performance class every Saturday and I would, because I knew I couldn't compete, because I knew I couldn't do, do you know, um, Seasons of Love from Rent and I uh. couldn't do, do all those things, 
I went, but I, I went for like the typical, almost ugly songs, but songs you could act, songs that you didn't need to to sing well for. But if you could act them, and if you could do a really funny accent, then you've got it set. So the like Rex Harrison best, songs. My songs were like um, mixtape from Avenue Q, mm. and I remember one of my favourite ones that I did was. Just you wait, Henry Higgins from My Fair Lady. Yes, that's. Oh, I loved it, and I would like if someone came knocking on the door, being like, "We want you to do Eliza Doolittle," I would just do it just for that song because it's amazing. Yeah. Um. And, but like I think, unfortunately, kind of with Gant, I felt that they, they they didn't really prize acting as much as they did the other talents mm. and I can kind of understand that because if you're going to start off in musical theatre it's like you're going to probably be a background dancer or, a, or an ensemble singer you, you're not exactly going to have the big acting part um, so and as well like I was doing hires and everything like that and I was quite academical so like I, I really wanted to do well in that and 16 hours a week it just isn't feasible when you're going into your fifth year of school doing hires um so came out of that and went came to the polar opposite which was a saturday class at the the royal conservatoire Ah. Um, and again entirely different but one of the best decisions i made because it went totally back to pace um and the fact that they were just listening. It was, it was, see, looking back now and I'm realising the people that were tutoring me um, are actually top people, like they're top playwrights, top directors, top actors, like really good quality professionals. Um, and yeah, it was a full day on a Saturday and they would just listen to what you wanted. They would obviously plant ideas and they'd go, right, we're going to look at this topic, but like you're going to, you're going to get the form and you're going to write what you want to do and you're going to have a real say in this. Um, and I just think that's so crucial for any young person at any age to get that, which, to be fair, I didn't really get that at Gamta. It was, you're going to do this and you're not going to really ask questions, you're just going to do that. Um, so it's funny, like, kind of looking back on, like, my musical theatre side, I sort of call it my goth phase, where it was, like, <laughs> and, like my teenage sort of cringe fest. <laughs> but, like, I went, I went kind of after Gant, I was like, I hate musicals now, I hate, I want to do street acting, I want to do street plays, and it's only around about now that um, I'm now picking up some musicals going, they're not all bad. <laughs> like, I'm obsessed with Hamilton at the moment, so I'm now starting to go, they're not all bad. Some mm. of them are absolute works of art, and I will, I will appreciate that. Strangely, you remind me of an amusing anecdote I know about the concept of straight acting. Because yeah. I was once at an event that had a lot of different theatre groups at it, and there were some musical theatre groups, and there were some other groups, and there was, uh, I was part of the Shakespeare group, shockingly, and one of the other groups referred to themselves as the Straight Theatre Society, which, here's the thing, whilst I do not wish to make any kind of generalisation about musical theatre, the musical theatre group I was a part of did have a lot of LGBT plus members. Pure coincidence, I'm sure, but the use of that term... It was taken in. It was taken in jest and treated comedically, but it did make me think. <laughs> Certainly, I made a joke about Shakespeare in it because, let's be honest, Shakespeare was unquestionably bisexual. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but anyway, so 
So you 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 came back to um, non musical acting, uh, we shall call it. And yeah. where did you go from there? Um, well, I think well, I, I did RCS for two years, um, and that was just really. And I think it was good at the time where I was doing fifth and sixth year and um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I think it was also probably about the, at the time I was thinking about universities and I think um, it came at a really, because well, to be honest, at the end of, towards the end of Gamta, I was going, I, I, know, I, I don't cancel myself going to like doing showcases and, and, and doing all that. I, I, I don't know, it was weird. Like I just knew that I wanted to do something in higher education, a bit academic. And I knew I wanted to be in theatre, but I was also, I've always um, actually been a bit of a writer. And I always really, and when I was at RCS, they did this great thing where they'd have like your kind of core class in the morning, and then you would um, do an elective. And I chose, because I, I really liked English, and I, I was really good at writing, doing like sort of personal writing in English. And um, I chose text purely for that, and that was like a really, and I did it both years actually, like you could, you know, mix and match over the years and go and do devised, or you could do actually do musical theatre if you wanted to, as your elective, or movement, or you know, different things like that. But I chose text both years because I just really enjoyed it, and it was just a really different way of them um, creating work. And because we'd sort of write things, it wasn't like you're sitting down and just writing whatever. It was basically ways in which would um, create text or adapt text and. I've always been really quite interested in that. Um, and I think that's probably what started me going, you know, I wanted to study something in theatre, but I didn't necessarily just want to limit it down to acting. Um, I've always said that I've always loved acting, but I feel for me personally, it just wasn't enough. And I think RCS kind of fueled that. Like I, um, I always need to have like a creative say so I had a bit of heartbreak actually in applying to uni where I I, uh, I tried, basically I took like five hires in my fifth year and thought I was doing okay and then only got one, and I knew as well like, the only place I wanted to go was theatre studies at Glasgow um, and you needed something like, it was something like four A's and some B's for a guaranteed unconditional mm. and then like three A's or was it like oh no it must have been two A's it must have been like two A's and three B's for a potential conditional or a, a potential offer right um I had actually already because my school was so great I had got my higher A in music a year before my fifth year which is a year before I should have got it and then I got but I only managed to get one other A in my fifth year. So I thought, well, I could potentially get a conditional offer and then get some more days in my sixth year. And then, you know, they just flat out rejected me the first time. And it was like all of the careers advisors and everyone had said, well, it's about your personal statement. You need to put everything in your personal statement. And of course, like I had been doing theatre for like 10, at least 10 years. And then... Um, None of that, and I, I, none of that came into account. And they were like, "No, it's just basically grades." So in my sixth year, I thought, "Well, I can try and get some more grades." Um, 
and if I need to take a gap here then I can take a gap here and apply again the year after that um, and again I was sort of disappointed in my sixth year where I was getting lower grades than what I had predicted which is why I see all this stuff coming out now mm. about predicted grades and the algorithms and all that like I kind of all for it because I've been a victim of that system often. Yep. Your your teachers telling you that you're going to get one grade and then actually getting another. It's I don't mm. know. Anyway, um, and I, uh, no, I'm trying to think. So I probably got rejected in my sixth year, and I thought, yeah, I can take a gap year, and then got my results through, and then when they weren't what I thought they were for my sixth year, I realised that I had to really quickly apply for a um a college course and it's insane see like any courses in arts at Glasgow Union I don't know if it's changed but when I first applied you had to I thought like because it was theatre studies and music that I was applying for I thought I could do like um uh you know, like acting and performance or something like that and I was like looking into those courses and then I actually found out that no the only courses that you can do to get an HMC in order to get into Glasgow Uni um is like admin, IT, accounting, journalism. So the closest thing that I could get to actually what I wanted to do was media and communications. Ah. So um I had to go for uh a year to Cardano College to do an HNC and media and communications, which I'm not gonna like. It was a, actually a really good course and a really good stepping stone for kind of a young, naive eighteen-year-old who has just been at school and rather than going straight to big bad university, um, it was just a, it was a, it was a really good stepping stone, and I actually learned a lot from that course. But I just I find I always find it ridiculous that um, and throughout the year, like I get little. Kind of reminders of how ridiculous it was. I mean, see, even at my my interview for that college, the teacher looked at my CV. He was like, "You know what my first question is going to be? Why are you not at university?" And I had to admit, and go, "Look, I honestly don't know. I like fell through the system, um, and I, I and I met some incredible people that year. But there was another moment as well where like we're talking about hires and the grades that we got, and I had significantly more hires than anyone else in my class." Um, so this is kind of the problem with the education system, and as well, mm. it's a problem with me being a Scottish student that I don't think many people are aware of. Because when I went through clearance after getting kind of rejected the first time, um, they weren't giving any places to Scottish students, it was all to English students. Uh. And there is a systematic problem with um, Scottish students not being prioritised because they don't have the option to pay and, and it's you know and no tuition fees sounds amazing in writing mm. but it's not not all glitters is gold definitely not with that um, mm. there are problems where the institutions quite rightly so they're a business that they do not prioritize Scottish students um, and I was a victim of that and it caused me quite a lot of stress at that time but I, I'd say the plus point of going through all that is that when I finally did get to Glasgow Uni it was all the more sweeter and it was, I made it, it was worth it a lot more. And I appreciated it a lot more because I had to fight. Um, and I've learned quite a few lessons from that time that I think have, have served me better. So I don't regret it. It's just, uh, it makes me angry. I don't know if you can tell. It makes me angry every time I talk about it. Mm. So, yeah. I can't imagine. <laughs> but, but you got to Glasgow Uni. 
eventually. I did. You did, and well, well done. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about that, shall we? Uh, I think there'll be a, a, a familiar face may pop up here. <laughs> uh, but, but you got to Glasgow Uni, and sort of where did you go from there creatively? Oh, well, I think creatively, I think particularly my first year as well, I was just lapping it all up. I, um, it's quite funny, like people, I'd heard people talk about the theatre studies course, and I, and I knew that people weren't really into it. It's, it's a funny thing, like I, um, before I, I think it might have actually been the, well, before I came to Glasgow Uni, actually, I applied for RCS and I um, applied for acting at RCS and did an audition. And I was 17 and I got told by everyone, um, oh, you're, you're seven, like, they never take 17 year olds. They're always looking for people that have done a college course and, um, and that's when they'll accept you. And I was on, like, with a group of other 17 year olds going, I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't get in here. And I was like, I don't really even. Well, I'm not fussed. I want to go to Glasgow Uni. I'm just seeing if I can do this. Um, and funnily enough, three guesses as to what my Shakespeare was, my Pope. It was Paulina from the Winter's Tale. Shocking. Um, <laughs> uh, that joke will become clear later. <laughs> so I, I, I did that speech and I, um, I was quite nonchalant about it. I was like, honestly, throughout the whole day, I was like, I actually just really want to get to Glasgow Uni, but I'm, I'm here. Um, and then got like uh, a recall that day. I, like 20 was limited down to four, and I was one of the four. And I'm like, this isn't meant to happen. I'm a 17 year old that's not done anything that you're asking me back. Um, and then they limited that down to two, and they kind of pretty much said, um, oh, well, sorry, some people haven't got in, but maybe it's just not the right time. So, like, I always. And it's always been an interesting thing with me where it's like I thought if I had gone down that acting route, I think I would have done pretty well. Mm. But um, personally, I don't think I would have been satisfied or, or engaged enough. Um, and again, like this is not to say anything against actors. There are so many amazing actors that are so creative and so intellectual as well. I think it's just me personally. Like I was always looking for something that um, would just give me a bit more and that's why I did theatre studies and it was interesting talking to some people where they were probably at the start of uni as well where they actually dropped out because it was far too, I mean you did theatre studies too, it was far too theory based mm. for them. But I think funnily enough because my school didn't have a drama department so I didn't really know all the basics of theatre and I didn't really know many playwrights. So for me I loved it because all I got taught at school was Shakespeare. So to, to then learn about um, and you know they've got some amazing tutors there, but to, to start learning about like LGBT theatre and mm. German theatre and um, uh, what was it, like cultural appropriation in theatre and all these really mm. amazing just sort of themes and, and Greek theatre. I knew nothing about Greek theatre until I went to uni, um, and just to kind of learn all those and learn all the basics, I just really enjoyed it, and I just kind of. I'm a bit of a geek, but I just enjoyed really sitting down in the library and kind of going over these books. Um, and I think as well, it's probably a good point to note that in my first year is when I started, when I joined the... Oh no, it wasn't in my first year. I'll tell you like it was um, halfway through my college course, I joined the Young Company at the Citizens, Citizens Theatre, mm. which is obviously a bit 
big staple in my life. Yes, I knew um, that was going to come up somewhere. I know. Um, but that, because I was sort of doing that course, it wasn't anything that wasn't theatre related and wasn't necessarily theatrical or creative in the, the practical sense. Mm. Um, I joined the young company and then continued that through my first year. Well, I'm incredibly grateful that I did. Um, so again, like, it's funny that college course at, at Cardano because I feel like a lot of things have come from that. Like I met my best friend on that course and I managed to raise money for charity on that course and just realised that if I hadn't done that course, I probably wouldn't have felt the need to go to the sets and go to young company. But because I wasn't doing anything else, I was like, I need something. So that's why I went. We were going through your sort of time in uni, creatively. And I think, what I think kind of coming on from that is, um, and I think what's important to know and what I um, try and tell to people now, having come through uni, is that uni isn't the be all and end all and I feel a bit frustrated that people feel that they need to go to uni nowadays. Mm. Um, and then you find that people go and then they drop out because it's not for them. It's like, I go, well, I can show you that. Um, but I, 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 I just think it's important to know that the reason that I went wasn't for a degree, actually. And, and I kind of had to keep on telling myself that when I was getting stressed out in fourth year, but it wasn't for a degree. It was, um, I knew I wanted to do something in theatre, and therefore looking at the theatre studies kind of prospectus and what taught you I thought well maybe I can try and figure out what I want to do in theatre through this course um, and I did so when I was kind of in my fourth year I went do you know it doesn't really matter what my kind of degree is like I know what I want to do now um, and that obviously you know where that comes from because in my second year I joined the Shakespeare Society you did <laughs> this comes up a lot in these podcasts and the reason for that is of course that's where I know the majority of my creative friends from <laughs> go figure uh, the beauty of course with this is that when it comes time to reminisce about shared experiences I can go significantly further back with you than with any of my other guests because exactly. yeah, we're, we're, we're both old we were, we were the, the babies of the society we, we were, were The very beginning. No, we were. I never viewed myself as a leader of the society, but I'm more as sort of someone who's just there, a backbencher, if you will. I feel yeah, like that a lot. It's mental to think about when that first started off because it was literally, it was that group of fourth years that put it together because... Um, they were all literature students. They were all literature students and they just wanted something kind of to do in their, in their last year. 
Um, Having gone through fourth year, that's fair, to be honest. No, I understand that. You wanted to workshop your skills before doing yeah. something that could actually impact the rest of your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, did it just? Well, as you say, you joined the Shakespeare Society, and we will go into great detail into that later on, I'm sure. So let's leave a bit of mystery for now and, uh, and uh, focus on some other things. So what else uh, was going on during your time at university? trumpets but we, we did 
make that company grow and it grew from being a um an acting company to, to almost like a theatre making company so and and the citizens I mean, the, the the creative learning department of the citizens like i can single-handedly thank them for my career so far um, and they're just an, an incredible bunch of people um, and uh, it's set up by neil packham who is my theatre dad um, and he means an awful lot to me and um and he's just the most wonderful person and the most kind of inclusive embracing person and um and, and and it's his baby like he came up with it because he, he he identified this gap from doing drama classes when you're at school and it pretty much goes up to when you're 18 and then there's nothing there's there's no output for that um and kind of whilst during my during my time at uni we we did lots of different things in lots of different shows that I'm, I'm so grateful for because they're so they're so different in subject matter and they were all ensemble based and we all had kind of an input in what we wanted to do and and, and how to put this together and I think that also really greatly contributed to my directing and, and why I wanted to do it because that's what shows were like. Yeah, is there anything in particular you'd like to know about the young company? Because there's so much that I'm trying to like narrow it down. There is a great deal, and uh, you did talk to me a lot about it uh, back when we were at uni together. But um, yeah. I think just sort of the general overview: what about it was important to you?
you can hear it, but I can hear it. Um, mm. So yeah, the uncovered ground was like native Aboriginal kind of Americans from Canada, and they came over and again worked with this community cast. And I actually um, was part of the orchestra, I played my clarinet in it. And that was another great thing that you could take lots of different skills and you could almost have different roles for different productions. So um, sometimes she would be a writer, sometimes she'd be an actor, sometimes she'd be a performer, uh, a musician, um, and sometimes she'd be a director. So w one of the greatest shows that I did with the, the young company was Buckets, um, which is an incredible play by Adam Bernard, I think his name is. Um, and it's a bit of sketches, and it's all kind of about life and death, and essentially the theme is it's like you have a bucket list and you're trying to do things on that bucket list. But it, and it's there's no straight narrative through it, so it can be quite strange at points. Um, and that with that show, I was half an actor, half a musician. I spent half my time actually in the band playing music, and that was just as much of the, the show as the acting in the scenes for it. Um, and for someone as well who's come from like a very classically trained background, in order like to be able to use my clarinet and actually be able to learn other instruments like the cajon or you know use a loop pedal and just experiment, and the, it, it's such a different atmosphere from being in an orchestra and having sheet music and being very technically good where this was any kind of music that i've done with the sets is just being it doesn't matter how good you are if you can just get a feeling of something or you can kind of improvise and jam a bit um, and so I'm, I'm really grateful for them teaching me that and um and yet and what I, I just think is really good about them is like if they see talent in a young person they really nurture that um, and they can see these little sparks and, and they and I've known so many people that have come through the young company that have got really established careers and it started off there and that was what happened with me like they saw that I had an interest in directing and really nurtured me with that and gave me amazing opportunities with that um, and continue to give me amazing opportunities um, just because they believed in me they knew that I didn't really have much previous, previous experience but um, and I think as well, one of the great things about it is like if you put as much in as what you get out of it, then you're just going to have a great experience. So anyone, there's like a, a you know, still a group of people that have been there for years and they know that you get as much as you put in. And that's what I think the kind of staple of a good theatre company is. That's ensemble and you need to just work towards something and I'm sure you can but we are unfortunately on a uh, limited time uh, so we'll, we'll move on slightly let's sort of segue into the present which is sort of from when you sort of uh, left university onwards you've been up to quite a lot uh, yeah, as I'm so, so let's talk a bit about uh, your more recent projects sort of segue talking about the sets because what was amazing I had a really jam-packed final year um, and a lot of it was to do with the sets because there's a, a writer within the creative team called Martin Travers and he um, was working on a play that was written entirely in Scots mm. and he knew that I wanted to direct and so he kind of got me in on, they were doing rehearsal readings and he got me in on that um, so I got a bit of experience there and then with um, I did a work experience course for my last year at uni and 
did, um, I, I was assistant director on a play by Paint, which again was an incredible experience, which was with the wonderful Karen Dunbar, who was written and starred her, as well as two amazing um, actors, uh, Maureen Carr and Cleo Wall, um, and directed by April Chamberlain. And it was a wonderful, talking about kind of all female, um, it's just a wonderful atmosphere to be when you actually have an all-female team. It's funny, like I, I feel like I come across quite confident, but there's been some rooms where I've been in where, um, if they're predominantly all male, I feel like I change it to a different person, and that's nobody's fault. It's probably actually my own and what I've inherited. But to be in an all-female room was really great. Um, but I had that, and then I, yeah, I had like lots of different things that. Kind of experiences in my last year at uni and then that kind of springboarded after i graduated into the sits um basically gave me my first contact job as a director which was a big deal um and it was on a play which i had done as an actor when i kind of started the young company um they wanted me to act in this play it's a play on sectarianism um about rangers and celtic and and all that jazz and in the format of it is that it tours around to kind of communities and schools um, and there's sort of workshops surrounding it um, and they kind of come up with something that they wanted me to direct the young company um, in this play and tour it around schools for a week but it's quite intense because it was 10 schools in one week so two, two schools a day um, all around Glasgow so that was like my first um, contract to direct a job and that's quite a big deal and I think Again, I was talking to someone recently about um, what professionalism is and how I view professionalism. And I think, particularly in the arts, um, getting paid and getting contracted is not necessarily about the money. It's about kind of your own self-worth and, and to be able to just sign a contract and get a fee to work on a play just, oh, it's incredible. It just gives you this feeling of, I am doing a job, I am getting paid to do this. And it was also something that I loved and it was with my pals. And um, I mean, um, don't get me wrong, touring around schools in Glasgow is a tough gig. It's really tough. And I've, I've done it again, uh, I did it again earlier on this year. So I've done it twice. Um, and it's hard, but it's one of the greatest lessons that you'll learn, particularly um, as a young actor and also as a, as a director, is do you know because you're always going to have an audience that either heckles or doesn't pay attention and um, uh, and especially as well like a lot of work when you start off in theatre is going to be touring work and it's not going to be ideal premises it's probably going to be village halls sometimes and it's going to be terrible places with terrible acoustics but it's been a really great lesson for me um, as a director in order to kind of how to deal with your cast and how to calm them down and, and you almost need to be like a, a parent figure with them and go no, no it's okay right we're going to deal with this but you just need to be aware of this and that blah 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 but you can do this and it's going to be fine um so that's been really interesting and um at the start of the series well with the young company i um to let you understand one of my closest friends from the young company is now a writer and I've done a few things with her, but she got commissioned um, at the end of last year to do a uh, to write a play that was for the the twenty cast ensemble of the young company, 
um, about mental health, about teen suicide actually to be specific. And um, uh, so I got contracted again to be assistant director on that because I was working with her quite closely um, on that. So that was an amazing thing as well to, um, and it's totally up my street, like the way that the play was written. I have discovered that I'm quite into like sort of magical realism, things that, and I think theatre really suits that. Um, so um, I managed to do that and started this year. Um, and then kind of like you said, I've got a rather interesting little project ongoing, but um, yeah. Mm. Like <laughs> yeah, let's talk about current projects, shall we? Yeah. Yeah, so go on. Give us the full <laughs> lowdown. Um, so at the moment, kind of the, the thing that's most exciting and most pressing is something that I, to be honest, never thought I was going to do. Um, and it's a piece of gig theatre, which was kind of a really, really, really happy accident. Um, in the sense that I kind of signed up so the, the Toronto Theatre have got this really incredible programme called the Build Programme um, and it's for kind of emerging artists and it doesn't matter what kind of your specialism is it could be writing, acting, directing designing, stage managing, whatever but um, we've got this incredible programme that does workshops and does residencies and all that and then about this time last year they did their first residency with a company called Middle Child that specialises in gig theatre. Um, and for those listening who don't know what gig theatre is, it's basically where it merges um, the format and the style of like a gig concert, like a live music concert, but tells stories with that and, and creates theatre. So it's a very different form of theatre. You don't need all the kind of lights, camera action of sets and props and anything like that. Um, you just kind of need to be a really good storyteller and you can use music and you can use microphones um, and you can use lots of different elements. It's sort of genre defying actually. Um, and we had this incredible, and to be honest, I wasn't expecting much of it. I just thought, well, I'm, I'm quite musical. And as well, I think it's important to note that since graduating as much as I am working as a freelance director, I'm taking this time as like training time. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what my craft is and what I want to do. Um, so that's kind of why I signed up for it. And then it was this amazing workshop that just taught you so much about um, how to use music and how to use microphones and how to, how to tell a story in a totally different way that I never thought of before. Um, and kind of in the second day of this residency, they put us into groups of four and they were very much had an emphasis on we want you guys to tell a story, we want you to use all the gig theatre elements that we've taught you and we want you to come up with something, a story, it's only going to be about 10 minutes, but come up with a story, come up with a narrative and make it about you as you in Glasgow, what does it mean to be in Glasgow here and now and what does it mean to be you in Glasgow right now and what's important to you and that was just it and I think anyone that's speaking in any type of theatre doesn't to consider that anyway but we made a real emphasis of it and it just so happened that I was put in a group of three other young women and we came up with this thing we were just chatting and saying do you know and I said I, I've noticed that whenever I go out with a group of my pals instead of saying goodbye to each other we say text me when you get home and so but what does that necessarily like are we being quite flippant about that are we 
really considering what that means, what that statement means of text me when you get home. Because when you think about it, it means let me know that you are home safe and that you have not been drugged or attacked or raped or killed or whatever. It's, um, and I need to, because there's always this sort of um, expectation that young women, there's a very high percentage that they probably above could happen to them. Um, so we came up with this really, and I think that was almost the brilliance of it. It was really rushed. It was like within 24 hours we'd come up with this vague storyline of four girls going on a night out in Sucky Hall Street. Um, but one night a girl goes missing in Sucky Hall Street and they've each got a connection to this girl. And they, each girl sort of breaks kind of one of the Ten Commandments of what women must do when they go out. Like one gets too drunk, one goes on a Tinder date she's never met before. Um, one goes with this guy that's a total creep but she really fancies him. There's another girl that's not wearing the right things, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's kind of just a discussion about well, what, when young women go out, what do they need to consider? What are all the rules? And how does it differ from a young man going out? Um, and this kind of repeated phrase of text me when you get home. And we thought as well, the whole format of gig theatre is just such a really good way to do it because original idea was we were going to take it to live arts venues and live music venues so you can actually interrupt their night out and go i want you to consider your behavior and like what are you actively doing right now like depending on whether you're a man or a woman what are you doing right now to preserve your safety right um, and you got a really good response from that shading and then we started talking after it and um there's this director, Eve Nichol, who she came to see the shading and really, really liked it and pushed us to do something. And um, the producer at the Tron, who, who led the residency, she was really pushing us to do something with it. So we were having quite a lot of serious talks at the end of last year and the start of this year. Um, we were applying to uh, some festivals to, to do a kind of work in progress and we were getting on to them. And then uh, good old COVID-19 hit, didn't it? So... Um, but what's actually been really great is that we've had time to sort of get to know each other as artists a bit more. And we're all different kind of disciplines. We've got one who's, who's a poet, one who's done quite a lot of stage management, but also quite a lot of burlesque and cabaret things. Um, one who's quite in, like, influenced in the gig scene has done quite a lot of street performance. And then there's me who um, does directing and acting and kind of more, um, the, uh, you know, like theatre, theatre, like citizens' theatre, like kind of classic theatre. Um, so we're all from different backgrounds and we've had a chance to talk about that and also apply for a, um, for funding. We were going to originally apply for funding this year in order to do a full production later on this year, but obviously that can't happen. So we um, applied for funding through Creative Scotland and we've managed to get that funding, which is very exciting seeing as I never applied for funding before. Um, and we are now going to be doing a two-week development in uh, December at the Tron Theatre. Um, and like I said, we've got Eve Nichol, who's our director, and we've got Megan Tyler, who is a writer, who is a, um, people might know her from Pride and Prejudice, sort of. She played Elizabeth Bennett in that, and she also wrote um, Crocodile Fever last year at the Travers, which was part of the Edinburgh Festival. So we've got a pretty stellar team, and we're very excited about it. So we're going to do a two-week development to try and get set down a script, and try and figure out what the news is going to do, and then hopefully... 2021 it might grow some arms and legs and hopefully we'll have some form of production COVID dependent mm. so 
yeah, that's what's pressing at the moment, and it's very, very exciting. Fair enough. <laughs> Any other current projects you want to talk about? Um, just the fact that I'm starting up theatre school, mm. which is fun. <laughs> um, I've never really done anything like this before, but um, it's kind of a bit of a response to... I'm just fed up. I've got a bit of cabin fever. I'm a bit fed up um, doing mm. things, and actually, hopefully, I'm hoping the tier system won't disrupt this. But mm. um, I, uh, I just thought it's a better way to make some money and also to all the things that I was talking about for PACE and RCS um, I kind of want to give it to my local community, I want to um, do some drama classes that aren't about being a star maker and aren't about, about taking money off parents and not really benefiting kids, I want there's so many great lessons to be learned out of drama and theatre and theatre making um, and I, I want to share those and um, so it's kind of, I've called it Firelight School for Storytelling, and that's going to be like the the emphasis is going to be on storytelling. It's going to be on, um, you know, you can do whatever. You don't necessarily need to act if you don't want to act. You can maybe write, you can maybe create some music, you can maybe make some props. Um, and we're just going to teach them the basics of drama and, and theatre making and get kids to maybe boost their confidence a little bit, learn a few social skills and make some friends, which I think we really do need now. Um, after, you know, eight months of something that I can only imagine is really quite terrifying for children. Mm. So, yeah, that's quite exciting. Mm. You have a lot going on right now, which is yeah, good. It's you see good. all the plates I'm spinning? Indeed. So <laughs> let's talk a bit about the future. You sort of know your immediate future with the, uh, with workshopping, um, your various pieces and so forth. But let's talk slightly in a more abstract manner. Where do you hope the future leads you? Um, yeah, it's a good point. I uh, I think, you know, I've got, I'm, I'm a fantasy, I'm a serial fantasist. And um, I do like to imagine, you know, what I'd see when I'm on the Graham Norton sofa and when I'm being interviewed for being the first um, female artistic director of the National Theatre. But, um... And I do kind of have all those dreams. I, I would really do you know, like to be one of those really cool theatre directors. But I, I think in a more real sense, I've always sort of said, and I, I kind of struggled when I left uni about the idea of postgrads and about going down to London and about going into really big theatres and, and all that. But what is shown to me um, is that I've got some really good connections up here and there's some really good people up here, and it's a lot easier to be seen up here. And to be, it's such a close, it's such a close knit community, and that can sometimes be a good thing, and sometimes not so much. But um, I'm seeing the benefits of it, mm. and I think what kind of my measure of success, I think, would be that if I could learn what I can up here from my trade and um, really. Kind of champion Scottish arts and Scottish stories and Scottish theatre, and then maybe go down south and then when I'm a bit more successful and sort of make a name for myself down there, but then bring what I've learned down there up here again. And and I, I, I really think that I mean, I love London with all my heart and I love going to see London theatre and it is amazing, but I don't understand why one place in the country, one city needs to be. The pinnacle of British theatre and where all the best British theatre is. I, I think the last time I went to London, I thought 
it's just too, it's just too much. It's, mm. There's too much there, and I think, and I'm maybe wondering if after all this, it will spread out a bit because I'm feeling it's um, people are getting a bit connected to lots of different companies across the country, um, and I think that would be my my dream is to. Um, kind of put Scotland and put Glasgow in particular on the map for theatre mm. um, and for people rather than going oh I need to go down to London to make it big wouldn't it be wonderful if you go on to go to Glasgow to make it big I need to because mm. they've got an amazing theatre scene yeah. so I think that's probably one of my big dreams um, it's a big dream <laughs> but, but I like it it reminds me of, we always joked about that at uni, you were going to run the National, I was going to run the RSC. Oh yeah, we did, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. We'll see how that turns out. Uh, um, but anyway, let's talk in a slightly more abstract manner. Just, this is a question I love to ask everyone, hypothetically. I've given you license to put on any show you want, sort of location, budget, all of that, not an issue. What, what would you do? What would you do? Um, well, probably, again, me being like my... my I've probably got two answers to this question. Yeah. Me being my serial fantasist, um, I, like, kind of have different ideas of different Shakespeare plays um, and what I would do with different... how I'd put them on. At the moment, I have, like, a pretty intricate... And it's going to sound like I'm copying from... Um, our twelfth night, but it's like a different sort of version. But I have a, I have quite a, a clear vision of how I would do a twelfth night. Um, and the reason I'm saying you'd copy is because it, it is set in the nineteen twenties. But I yeah. find it to let to let your lovely listeners understand. I did my dissertation on twelfth night, and mm. um, I thought quite a lot about it. Interestingly, um, so did I. <laughs> so that was always another thing we had. And I think as well because I, I listened to to Lucy's episode today, and she was kind of talking about Olivia and Olivia's sadness, and I think that's so prevalent. And then, like, what's just feels me is a comedy. I've seen a lot that does play on the sadness, and it's about loss, and, mm. and there are people that you that are lost in Twelfth Night, and um, and I would really actually love to do a production. And I, I, and I always have this interesting idea about the 1920s because I feel like 1920s is like the party after the absolute heartache that was the First World War. Mm. And then almost like the 1930s are like the hangover after that party. Mm. And then we have the Second World War. But um, I would kind of like to dissect that idea of the Roaring Twenties and how good it actually was. And I, I'm obsessed with this... Um, band called Caravan Palace who are amazing and they do like really amazing electro swing music and my my dream production would be like I would team up with them and we would um, do like a 1920s Caravan Palace themed 12th night that explores this sort of um, kind of glamour of that Gatsby 1920s but underneath it is the raw heartache from the First World War mm. which I think would work quite well well, because I, I've kind of, this is going to sound so sad, there's this amazing um, track by Caravan Palace, and it was an extended track from um, their show called, uh, not their show, their album called uh, Mighty. Right. It's insane, like, it's quite upbeat most of the time, and it's like proper 1920s and quite 
big band sort of style and then it just sort of stops at one point and it's kind of dragged out and it just has sort of like this sort of underground soundscape and I'd come up with a whole opening in my head of this is going to be the opening to my 12th night and I know exactly at what cues and at what points different things are going to happen and I think it would be really important to see um, the first of all Olivia losing her brother Mm. Um, and receiving the news of her losing her brother and also the shipwreck that caused Sebastian and Viola to be separated. I think that's also really important to see that. Um, and it also reminded me, I mean, last year I went to Lewis and there's this heartbreaking story about um, there was a, a ship, basically, it was like New Year's Day 1915 and it was a ship that was coming back with all the soldiers, like the, the uh, island, island of Lewis, like all their soldiers that had survived the First World War, and it was coming back on New Year's Day to return these men to their family, and it sunk right in the Bay of Stornoway Ooh. on New Year's Day. So, like, these men that had survived the war, and, like, can you imagine all their family were, like, gathered to go and welcome them back, like, all the men, and you can imagine... Lewis in 1915, it's probably not as big as it is now, or, or you know, would have smaller communities and mm. um, the kind of heartbreak of surviving such a horrendous war mm. to then die right at the bay at Stornoway. It's horrendous. Mm. So I kind of had an idea of well, what if that's what happened to um, Viola and Sebastian? Where do maybe was Viola like a, a nurse? Uh, Mm. Um, a nurse in the front line and then they were returning home and it was when they were returning home that that's when that happened because yeah. it's almost like you know, that kind of real life thing that's what fascinates me about some real life things yes. you can't write that how can you write and it's the whole thing of like New Year's Day after the war sinking mm. right at your island yeah. um, I think Shakespeare would take that and would do something with that so I've mm. got quite a few ideas of that 12th night of of tying that in with the comedy because I, I always believe that with comedy you need tragedy and tragedy you need comedy and I would, with 12th night I feel like to me it is. In terms of, of a bit more realistically of what I would like to put on, I've always for the past few years wanted to do an adaptation of Charles Dickens' book Hard Times. Ah. Uh. Favourite book. Um, and I keep on saying I'm going to do stuff with it and I've got loads of ideas floating around mm. but maybe I think in the new year once things have settled down a little bit more, I think I'm going to seriously sit down and maybe apply for some funding to do a development of that. So. Mm. I do like the works of Dickens. They have a beautiful uh, strangeness to them. They're so theatrical as well. Like, mm. I went to visit his house in London and they were like, yeah, did you do? and he would do this. He would recite his works. Oh, yeah, he did he huge reading. It. Even at the end of his life, after suffering from several fits, essentially, he would still go and do readings of his works. Indeed, um, Patrick Stewart once did a one-man show of A Christmas Carol based on Dickens' readings of the work. Yeah, totally. I mean, he's, he's inherently theatrical, and I think mm. the way, um, I mean, I've read a few of Dickens' books, but Hard Times just got to me. It's such a, um, and not a lot of people know about it, but it's almost like it could almost be just an essay. Mm. Because he's so critical of, like, a certain type of people. Yes. Um, and and just some of the images he conjures up. There's a wonderful image. He's split into three books, and at the end of the second book, there's 
it's the last chapter isn't very long, but it's basically a, a young woman coming to her father and, and chastising him for the way she was brought up. And and, and it's stormy. It's, you're there, you're in the you know, stormy outside, and she basically just collapses into his arms. And you can see it. It's so visceral. Mm. So I, I really wanted I really want to adapt that and I'm I just need to get my brain into gear and do it. But yeah. Fair enough. Well, we're coming near to the end of the things we talk about. As my listeners will know, I like to reminisce about time shared with my guests. In the case of Lauren, I have rather a lot to reminisce about. Well, with many of my guests, I've reminisced about times in the Shakespeare Society. As me and Lauren have said, we can go significantly further back, right back to the beginning of the society, way, way back, like, like way back. Like the start of the society. The start of the I was but an innocent first year, ish, uh, who looked much the same as I do now, except I didn't wear glasses back then because I had no idea how blind I was. <laughs> uh, strangely apropos. Um, were you at the? Were you part of the original monologue evening? Yeah, I was. Because I have I very few memories of that. I'll be honest. I did Viola. Yes, you did, Harry didn't Thomas. you? Like, Viola and Orsino, that great scene where um, they're talking about love and ah, is this where she's like, I, I, oh. I am in love. Mm, of of what years is she? Oh, about your years, my lord. Oh, too old, too old. And then, do you know what's wonderful is it's like in so many productions have done it so well. Is is that bit where it's like, and it's mostly Orsino. It's Orsino just being a complete guy. <laughs> just going like, oh, women can't love as great as me. Like I, my seas, my loves as hungry as the ocean. And yes. It, so it's horrible. But Too well know, I know what love women to man may owe. Yeah, oh, uh, it's beautiful. I mean, that's what it's like. Ever since my dissertation, it's been living in my head. Oh, it's like, and, and it's, it's, it's the way, if I only just let him speak, and then at the end, she just kind of has enough, and she goes, yeah, but I know, and, and goes, well, what do you know? And she's like, and she has to pull it back and go, well, too well, what love women to men we owe him, and she's like trying to, and it's that, yes. that, that thing of making her point, but then not giving away who she is, and, and, and then there's this almost thing of, of going, do you know what I, oh, and they get so close, and, and yes. she just listens to her, and oh, it's it is, for me, it's the bit where she's like, were I a woman, I might love your lordship. And I'm like, what guy says that to another guy? Is Orsino just that dim? I know, it's I know. It, was, it was fun. I, of course, did, what did I do? I did Tamara from Titus Andronicus, the Queen of the Goths. Yeah. Uh, which was weird for me because that was not my intention. I, I, it was something they asked me to read in auditions and then later asked, would you be willing to actually do this as part of the thing we can lend you a skirt? And I'm like, why not? And I'd like to point out, I was fully bearded through this. I didn't shave or anything. But it was really, because you did that and then um, Rachel did Richard II, didn't she? She did. Wow. Yes. She was so good at that. And I remember Jack did, uh, did the Queen Mab monologue from Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, these these are all the memories I have of that evening. It was an odd evening. And then the next semester came around and we did Love's Labour's Lost. And here's the thing. There are... Myself and yourself are the only people 
I think in Scotland that I can think of who will remember this. Because Jack's in London, Jamie's in London, etc., etc. Uh, um, you know, I, see, looking back on that, like, Sue and I say the first thing I ever directed was one of Shakespeare's longest comedies. It's like I kind of almost envied myself then that I was so naive that I just went, yeah, let's do it. Same with Winter's Tale. You were naive! I was the one who pitched it. But, but do you know what I mean? Where it's like there's something kind of beautiful about... Um, being thrown in the deep end? It kind of being thrown in the deep end, but like... I feel like now I've got too much experience and I've got too much worry to go, I'm going to do a full Shakespeare. But it's like when you've never done anything of that scale before, you're like, yeah, let's do it, why not? Yeah, you're always like, how hard can it be? Yeah. Very hard, as we discovered. It wasn't entirely our fault. This was the first full show the society had ever done. I had pitched it. It was Love's Labour's Lost, which is one of Shakespeare's lesser-known comedies, set sort of at the university, because I felt it sort of worked. Because it's about the King of Navarre and three of his lords decide to forbear the company of women for three years and devote themselves to studying. Sound familiar? And then the Princess of France and her three ladies-in-waiting turn up. Hilarity ensues. It's one, it's one of the plays where the women are shown to be much, much smarter than the men, which is yeah. what I love about it. Um, it was a weird one because I recently had to explain to one of the Society's new board members who was the director of it because there wasn't really anything in the Society's sort of data log, as it were, and I understand essentially, myself and Lauren were the co-directors of it to begin with. Mm-hmm. I had to step back as director because I had to take on an acting role due to a cast member having to go into hospital. Uh, very good in that role. You're a very good boy. It was a fun time, and so I ended up being more assistant director, maybe. And at, at the end of it all, when a new assistant director, our friend Jack, was brought on, we ended. I ended up being credited as dramaturge, which was a phrase none of us really knew the meaning of at the time, and I'm still a tad unclear on today, but I was essentially credited with idea by. Yeah. It's like on... It's like when writing credits, when you've got written by dot dot dot, based on story by dot dot dot. Yeah. Under based on story by, yeah. as it were. Um, but it was a fun show, beset with problems, but it was the first show the society had ever done. I think we can be forgiven. students who have already got enough on their plate to mm. university because university is hard. Yes. Um, just coming together and and working on something for like three months that would only have like one or two performances. So it wasn't really actually about the performances. It was just like coming together because we all, all really like Shakespeare. We all really like performing. Mm. And just having a great time. Mm. And just and, and doing it for not any real monetary gain or Kind of career gain or anything like that, just yeah. because we loved the, the work so much. Mm. You know? Yeah, I, I remember it well. It took to, to be able to do that, and I don't think anyone, do you know anyone that was involved in that? They wouldn't really, I mean, I know I wouldn't be where I am now if I hadn't done that, and I think mm. kind of a lot of people would be with that too. N- neither would I, certainly. And I mean, we then go on to my second year, your third. Yeah, and that was that was a that was a fun year for you, as I recall, because our first show was a, not a Shakespeare play; it was in, is an inspired by Shakespeare play. It was called Much Ado About Murder. Yeah, and 
It was. It was around the Halloween period because uh, it was the Edinburgh Horror Festival. It was basically. It was. It was. Um. It was. It was directed by Jack and Lauren, and starring me. Sound familiar? It was about a uh, a psychotic Shakespearean actor who starts murdering his theatre critics. Guess who I was playing? <laughs> yeah, I always, I, whenever I explain this to people, I always, I give them the overview and like, guess who I was playing? And it was like, were you the psychotic Shakespearean? I'm like, yes, I don't know why they... It's so convincing in it. So I'm repeatedly told. <laughs> it was a weird show to be sure, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed it a great deal. Uh, yeah, it's good to... Yes. And it, it did, among other things, lead to a long-standing collaboration with dear Jack Elphick, who has now moved down to London and recently gave me all the theatre stuff he has left over. Oh, wow. So I've got a whole box of that in my room, just mm-hmm. there. Uh, including, among other things, a series of masquerade masks, a fake knife with a notch in it, so you can sort of cut your own arm and so forth, and a skeleton's leg. Just, yeah, the, just the leg, just the leg, just the leg. But anyway, anyway, moving on to that, second semester that year, we did a production of Shakespeare's The Winter's Tale. Yeah. Directed by... Who directed that? I've forgotten. I wonder who it could be. I wonder indeed. It was Lauren. And it was an interesting show, to be sure. I was not super familiar with The Winter's Tale beforehand, I'll be honest. Um, yeah. So it was, it, was, it was a learning curve. Based on our preliminary understanding of the order of the Shakespeare plays. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's... So I'm currently writing a play on exactly this, so... <laughs> so I was like, this is our best guess as to when they were written. They are problem plays in that we don't really know how to classify them and yeah, so they're, forth. They're both sort of classed as comedies, but I think that that's kind of far from the truth. Well, that's... Um, they're both plays that, that deal with a lot of issues that are so relevant today. And, and, and you can see that Shakespeare's kind of taken a lot of time to really think about what's going on in the world and, um, and kind of how he can reflect that. Mm. Um, and I think that's what got me about the winter's tale was it. I, I mean, the the first half is incredible. It's like it should mm. be on Netflix. It should be like a a real political drama. And mm. the um and as well, what I think what really attracted me to it was that there were some lines that you 
Shakespeare said in The Winter's Tale, I mean, I get lost with some Shakespeare, but The Winter's Tale I could just hear so clearly and I could totally get what he was saying and what was happening. And it's just, I don't know, I think the format and everything of it was just so interesting. I mean, that first scene with them, Polixenes and Leontes and Hermione, that Mm. of it all being really great and all being really jovial and all of a sudden it just changes. It's like you don't see anything like that. And then, I don't know, I think I am just, I'm always just intrigued by it, that you have that kind of weird um, first part and then the second half is completely different. It's pastoral and it's it's spring compared to the winter, mm. to, compared to the harsh cold winter. It's mm. spring going into summer and there's a festival and it's it's jovial. But I think what's incredible, to me personally, I feel the main story with the winter sales, it's about time. Mm. It's about time healing. Mm. And it, it, it is, it's about that, well, for every winter there will be a spring. Yeah. And I don't know if you're talking about it now, it's like it, it can be quite you know, relevant today mm. that for every hard time there is there is a better and the, the time itself is the best healer mm. but we can't figure out why we can't really put our finger on it's kind of one of life's conundrums mm. of why is time such a good healer and um and it's, yeah it's just so and what's it do you know there are, there are a lot of problems with it and a lot of one, I kind of look back and go, why did you used to direct it? Um, I, last year, one of the great sort of Apologies there, folks. Technical difficulties, uh, slightly. But, um, but as you were saying, you were saying for every winter there is a spring. I, 
I like to be a problem solver, and I feel like the winter still is just one of the biggest problems to be solved. Mm. It's strangely, you, you talk about people having problems with the bear. Certainly people had a problem with our bear because um, is the, we instead of a bear, because we were a student society, we couldn't do a bear convincingly, we had the character attacked by a gang, essentially. And people took issue with that. Someone said that we were essentially equating a wild animal to impoverished youths, which I object yeah. to on that ground because that was not the intention I just couldn't see how we could possibly have pulled off a bear. Yeah, but like uh, without you know an actual bear. I, you know, it's it's one of those things that every director needs to deal with it, and I think you just kind of need to respect every way that they do deal with it. Mm. Um, so I tried. I was you tried. And it was definitely an experience. It was great fun to do, and I remember it fondly. Uh, moving on from the Winter's Tale. Um, uh, you, you then sort of took a year out from the society, and I think what was your fourth year because yeah. because you were doing the dissertation, and so but you then did return in my fourth year when I was also doing my dissertation, which like yours was on Twelfth Night, and also we were doing a production of Twelfth Night in which what, that I was in and was also at the time the president of the society. Yeah, it makes you wonder how I'm still alive, really. But Twelfth Night was the last thing I think we collaborated on uh, today, and that was such great fun to do. Cause... It was a lot of fun, and I think you know, so the main reason that I did it was because I realised that I, I had directed, I, you know, I'd done a couple of monologue nights, I'd directed um, two Shakespeare plays, but realised I'd never actually done a Shakespeare, I never acted in a Shakespeare play. Mm. And I had gone through the slog of doing a four-year degree, and I thought, I want to have some fun, and Fair enough. So, so we did Twelfth Night, where Lauren played Lady Olivia and I played Malvolio. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, it was wonderful. It I was hilarious. I wanted to be Maria. I thought Maria was a better character than Olivia. I We did great. I too, I was at the time doing my dissertation on it, so I was essentially bringing work home with me, um, or work to the theatre with me, whatever way you want to slice it. And I got flack from some of the cast members because during I started watching a different production of it during our rehearsals, um, because I needed to get research done because I was cross referencing three different productions from the last year at the time. And uh, and the end result was that uh, I was that I needed to start doing research early. Go figure. But I I did love our various scenes together. As yeah. certainly. I think, I think what was so good is like because we had that history. Yes. Um, up together, but do you know? Not that know? sort of history. Yeah. Trust with each other. 
that we just bounced off one another and, mm. and that's how it needs to be. I've still got those, you know. <laughs> the society bequeathed them to me, saying that they can't imagine anyone else is going to want to use them. Oh, oh They're probably gosh. right. I've never seen a better I, I tell you one thing that I remember, uh, Billy, who was playing Duke Orsino, and is an absolutely wonderful actor. He, his girlfriend came to see it, and she apparently told him, and he later told me, that she's been to see several different productions over the last year, because friends of hers keep getting cast in it, and she said of all of them, I was the best Malvolio. That's good, because she's like a proper, she's in a lot of things. She's a cool director, isn't she? Mm, yeah. Yeah, everyone's involved in theatre around us, don't know why. But yeah, I consider that to be one of my best performances. Yeah, yeah um, I, I would agree. It was, it was absolutely great fun. And and, uh, and that, that's largely it for our long association. It's been great fun, and I'm glad we've always... Hopefully it continues. Hopefully it continues. I'm glad we've always sort of kept in touch. Yeah. Uh, it's hard during these times. It is. But this too shall pass. Anyway, uh, we come near the end, uh, which is good, because I'll be honest, my laptop's running out of power. Um, but uh, as you know, and as I forewarned you, I like my guests to end on theatrical thought. Do you have a theatrical thought for us? graduating and I think is something that I'd like to pass on to people is to be brave and I think that, that what, I, what I mean by that is um, to think a lot of the time of what's the worst thing that would happen what's the worst thing that could happen if I knocked on that door or sent that email or I mean the one of the greatest lessons that I've learned starting off my career in theatre is that people like this want to talk and want to meet and want and particularly now want to share advice and want to help everyone out not everyone's against you and I've had to learn that lesson of and I don't think I would but I've had to learn the lesson of, of being brave of going I know what I can do I know what my worth is and um, I, I just need to I need to talk to that person. As much as they may be on a pedestal, I need to do it, or else I'm not going to get anywhere. Um, and But then at the same time, be kind. Be really kind. And that's another thing that I've, I've learned as a director and I've learned is really important. And again, it was something that I wouldn't necessarily think because I think there's a, a false idea of a director being quite distanced and quite tyrannical. Mm-hmm. But in my experience, you have to be kind. You have to be generous and you have to identify and it doesn't necessarily just be um you know associated with directors it's writers it's actors it's anyone who's worked in theater knows that you are a family within that theater and within that company you just need to look out for one another and um you need to be patient and you need to have time and you just need to be kind and you need to be kind to each other and you need to be kind to ourselves Whatever you're doing, it's great. Not just doing to your bowl, whatever. Great. You, yeah. If you're not doing anything, fine. Who cares? Um, so, yeah. To anyone listening, my theatrical thoughts to you are be brave and be kind. 
That is an excellent thought to end on. And uh, it's been absolutely wonderful having you here. I have actually just thought of one other shared memory we have, which is I went to see, as you've said, you were very involved at the Sits Theatre. And I went to see the, what was it called? The Big Night Inn? Or uh, a, night a Night to Remember, that was it, which was the last big show the Sits did before it closed with refurbishments, uh, which starred our lovely Lauren. And I remember <laughs> some, I, I remember some interesting moments what was it? You were doing the toothpaste bit. I was chewing gum, actually. Chewing gum, that was it. It was a case of... It was, it was... A little fun tip that was that uh, Peter Capaldi was in the audience and saw me wag my big old tongue right in front of however many... Peter Capaldi, I remember Peter Capaldi went to see it the night before I did, and I was so upset at having missed him. Mm, I, I loved it. I loved it. It was great fun. Um, about ghosts, and I love ghosts. Um, and First World War. Yeah. And again, see, just going back to, I think another one of my things is um, what I, I think I've been talking today is like not kind of compensating for the fact that you know they're not you're you've got a children's cast or a young adult cast or a an amateur cast. Don't hold back because of that. And that's what Night to Remember did. They had an amazing creative, professional creative team, but they, um, they didn't hold back on anything just because it wasn't a professional cast. They, um, they gave us everything. And that's, I think, one of the, the most important things is um, not to hold back. Mm. Well. Test your cast. They're, they can do it. That is an excellent thought to end on. As I say, thank you so very much for being here. It's been great to see you again. Yes, it's, too. it's been great to have you. And to everyone who is listening, firstly, apologies for any background noise you may hear in the recording. As you all know, I do this all from my home, on my phone, uh, because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, any background noises you hear are likely my flatmate, because uh, I'm doing all this in the kitchen. So that's on me. Uh, I've always said that it is the quality of our guests, not the quality of our sound uh, that makes this podcast. Uh, oh, I'm certainly going to say that in the future. I would also like to remind everyone that particularly within Scotland, where we're about to enter a new sort of um, time of restrictions, uh, starting from Monday, please, everyone, keep to the restrictions so that we can get through this and eventually get back into the theatre. Yeah. Everyone, please stay safe and take care of one another. Thank you for joining us here, and we wish you all the best. Goodbye. Our revels now are ended. We have reached the final page, and only the ghost light is left to occupy the stage. And though it may seem simple, metal filament and glass, it knows the truth we all must know. It knows this too shall pass. For now the theatre's empty, while the ghost light does still burn, but the ghost light has a meaning. It means we shall return.